Hey, good morning, church. We're going to take another step in the series that we began last time, um, asking the question, who is this Jesus guy? And what does he have to do with my life, particularly now that it feels like the whole world is coming apart at the seams? Um, and last week, we explored the idea that Jesus wants to be understood by what he does. He, he, he took uh, the question, who are you and what are you doing in the world? And say, hey, look at what I'm doing and that'll answer who I am. And so this morning, I want to take another step in that exploration. And I want us to see uh, that Jesus is the master forgiver. There are a couple of texts here in this section of Luke that we've been exploring. Uh, and Luke is just a biography about Jesus written by a doctor, and he tries to put everything in order. But in this section, there are a number of instances where people are looking at Jesus or interacting with Jesus and asking the question flat out, who is this guy? And to be completely honest with you, I had a completely different um, talk prepared to be able to explore with you this morning. But as I looked at as I looked at this text that we're going to look at this morning, I looked at the text I had planned to talk about. This one just was such a beautiful picture of what it is that Jesus does and what it is that Jesus wants to do with us that it seemed. Um, it seemed irresponsible to miss over this passage. So I'm excited to be able to explore it with you. And I hope you'll open with me to Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> We're going to be in the end of chapter 7, uh, beginning in verse 36. But as you're getting there, before we really get rolling, I'd like to invite you to pause together and pray with me. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So let's open up and, and, and read together Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, they asked Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." We're going to pause there and, and look at a couple of things because this passage really opens up some pictures that we aren't familiar with. So it opens with a Pharisee who's a teacher of the law, somebody who's familiar with the Old Testament, inviting Jesus to come and eat with him at his house. And so this is, um, there could be a couple of ways that we could understand this, but it seems like this Pharisee is trying to show honor to Jesus. He wants, he wants to show Jesus how much he has respect for him, so he's inviting him over and going to treat him as a guest in his house. And as Jesus comes and is eating with the Pharisees, the, it says that they're reclining at table. 
which is a picture that we're not really familiar with. So I want to show you something that's going to help you get a better grasp of this. Um, when they were reclining a table, they would set the table in the middle of these three benches or three beds, and everyone would, everybody at the table would kind of lay down on their side, and they would lean on their left arm, and they would eat with their right hand or whatever was comfortable for them. Um, and so when they're reclining, like this isn't, don't picture chairs, picture um, kind of day beds around, <laughs> around a, a table. And so they're at reclining at table and a woman of the city who was a sinner learned that Jesus was at this Pharisee's house. Now, we may be a little freaked out that this woman just kind of walked into these people's houses, but this was a time before air conditioning. And so they constructed the houses to be a little bit more open, to let air move freely in and out. Um, and they didn't really have doors per se. They might have a servant at the doorway who, who's letting people in and out. But, but there was space in the house of wealthy people for, for people from outside to come and gather. And then off of that gathering space was, was the dining room, essentially. And so this woman, I guess, got into the, the gathering area, but then uh, snuck into the dining room. And while she's there, she begins, she comes to Jesus' feet. Now remember, the table is in the middle of, of everything that's going on. And then everybody's got their head at the table and their feet are pointed away from the rest of the table. So this woman comes up behind Jesus, wherever it is that he's sitting at the table, and, and sees that his feet are, are dirty and dusty and and, and she's just moved with emotion and begins to weep and cry and cries at Jesus' feet and begins to, to wipe, wipe uh, his feet clean using her hair. And, and she kisses his feet and, and, and she takes this oil that she brought in an alabaster flask, which was a pretty common way to store oil or ointment, some kind of a perfume. Um, and then she puts that on his feet and, and is just... She's all up in Jesus's business, and it seems like Jesus just continues with his meal. And the Pharisee that's invited him over is, is a little bit perturbed by this. He says, man, if this guy was a prophet, he would know the kind of lady who's, who's, who's touching him. So the, this perfume that this lady had used for her profession, we can kind of read in between the lines that if she was a sinner and a woman of the city, that she might have been a prostitute. So she takes this perfume that was used to make herself smell good to her clients and uses it instead to anoint Jesus, to give Jesus a blessing to, as an act of worship for Jesus. And the Pharisee sees this and has a cynical response and says, look, Jesus, like, who is this Jesus guy? He says he's a prophet. He acts like he knows what he's going on, but he doesn't even know the kind of person who's like rubbing his feet down. Like that's, that's a little iffy, Jesus. You ought to be on top of that. And just leads me to wonder, when we see other people worshiping Jesus, how are our hearts tempted to scoff at that? How are we tempted to scoff at the worship of other people? In, in, in this day and age, as we are isolated from each other socially and not able to gather together to worship in, in the same physical space, uh, we may forget that, um, that when we worship together, 
it can be a little bit uncomfortable. If you grew up in a, in, a, in a church environment where people are really expressive and constantly raising their hands, if you walk into an environment where people are not the same kind of expressive, it can seem like, oh, these people, like, they're, they're frozen. They're not actually worshiping. And if you grew up in an environment where people weren't as expressive in church um, and they didn't raise their hands or do any kind of thing, and then you go into an environment where people are doing a lot of that, we go, whoa, these people are out of control. These people are crazy. I can't believe like their, their worship, like ugh, who could ever worship God like this? This isn't the God that I'm comfortable with. Um, and then we get to like the this, this singing aspect. And as we're singing together, there's some people who have great voices. And there's some people who don't have great voices, and we might be tempted to scoff. We might be tempted to look at the offering that people are bringing to God and, and scoff. Say, that's not really a great gift, and, and, and does God really know the kind of people that he's taking worship from? Similarly, we might look at the outreach efforts of other churches and go, man, that's, that's so gimmicky. Or we might say, I can't believe, like, oh, I can't believe that church down the street is doing that. Um, but I'll just remind you that we're on the same team and we have the same mission from the same boss. Like Jesus gave us all the same mission to invite our neighbors to meet and follow him. And so in the times where we might be tempted to scoff at the outreach of other churches, or we might be tempted to kind of cringe at other people's worship, um, let me just remind you of the story that we're looking at together. Let's actually continue reading it together in, in verse 40. And Jesus answering him, answering the Pharisee who was thinking to himself, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors and owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You've judged rightly. Then, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. So, like I said, the Pharisee had invited Jesus into his home and wanted to show him honor, wanted to have him as a guest of honor. And there were a couple of things that were actually really common in that day, if you were having people over to offer them, that were just general housekeeping hospitality. Uh, most people weren't driving places, they were walking places, and most roads weren't paved, they were dirt. So if you've spent all day walking in the dirt, your feet are going to be a little bit gross. So when you come into somebody's home, it's customary either for your host or for the host's servant to wash your feet with water. Um, it's common if you have a guest of honor to greet them and to greet them with a kiss on, on, on the cheek. Um, during social distancing, we're not going to do that, but that was common in their day. Um, and, and then uh, 
to anoint them with oil, to put oil on their head, uh, is kind of like if you're in a, in a desert environment and you've been out and you're walking or you've traveled to a place, it's kind of, uh, kind of nice to get a little bit of lotion on your skin if you're just getting dried out. So to, to offer oil to your guests was also, um, was also customary. But, but Jesus points out that this woman has done so at great cost to herself, has done these three things that were common hospitality, but, but the, the, the host of the meal didn't offer that same hospitality to Jesus. Jesus had come in and, and, and he had offered none of the, the, the usual ways that you would welcome somebody. Um, can you imagine inviting somebody over to your house and offering them water or tea and not putting any ice in it or, or welcoming them to sit at the table and everybody is, is passing around the bread, but, but, but they're, but the guest is expected to wait until everybody else has eaten before they can grab something. It's just rude. And Jesus points out, he says, you've been really rude, but this woman has come and she's, she's not only been hospitable to me, she's, she's done so at great cost of embarrassment and cost of the ointment to herself. And he asks this question. He gives this picture to the guy. He says, look, if, if there was a money lender, if there was somebody who had a bunch of people who owed him money, but two people in particular, one person who had a debt of 500 denarii and the other 50. So the guy with, with 50 denarii is probably about two months wages. But the guy who owes 500 denarii, he likely owes around two years worth of wages to pay back to this guy. And neither of them is able to pay the debt. They both, they both are in a, in a pinch. They both are out of work. Whatever the situation is, neither person can pay. Either the guy with the big debt can pay, nor the guy with the little debt can pay. And so the moneylender says, you know what? I forgive both of your debts. Jesus asks, who is going to be the person who's, who's more grateful? Who's going to be the person who loves the moneylender more? And the Pharisee says, well, I guess the guy who had the bigger debt is, is going to love him more. Jesus is saying the size of the debt correlates to the appreciation of forgiveness for the debt. The size of the debt correlates to the appreciation of forgiveness. Of the debt. So if I, if I had a greater debt, my appreciation when that debt is canceled is greater. So... There's a habit in, in that's common today that we kind of overlook people's sin. We just, we just say, ah, oh, it's not that really that big a deal. Um, but overlooking people's sin is not actually a kindness. If, if there's nothing that's forgiven, if there's no, no debt that's been, that's been canceled, then what reason is there for them to respond to God in love? And all of this just leads me to, to, to ask because the Pharisee looks at a woman who, who, is, who is really pouring her heart out to Jesus and says, yeah, that's, that's kind of icky. So what graceless standards are we tempted to judge other people by? What graceless standards are we tempted to judge other people by? I grew up in a moral home and my parents were great and they, they raised me to be a good person. And, and I started my walk with Jesus. I began trusting Jesus as a child. I was, I was really, really young when, when my journey began. And so there's a sense in which I kind of feel like uh, 
there wasn't too much sin in my life for Jesus to forgive. And I've kind of always done the right thing and always tried to walk with Jesus. And so um, what is it that, that, that Jesus forgave me as a kid? And I, the more that I learn about God's perfection and God's holiness, and the more I learn about the ways that I miss those things, even after I started trusting Jesus to forgive me, the sin that I've done since that point, he's already offered forgiveness for, um, has just, has just opened my eyes to the greatness of God's forgiveness and grace to us. And the better that I understand how much I have been forgiven, the more I can have a standard of grace towards other people. We, we studied a couple of weeks ago in Luke chapter 6, uh, particularly in verses 37 and 42, Jesus' exhortation to judge not lest you be judged, for the measure that you judge people by will be the measure that you are judged by. He uses the picture of the blind leading the blind. And says, hey, look, before you judge your brother, why don't you take the log out of your own eye so that you can see the speck that's in your brother's clearly. And so as we've, we've contemplated what graceless standards we're tempted to judge others by, uh, we're reminded that, that God shows us a great gracious standard. In fact, he does so in this story. Let's look at these last couple of verses. So, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. And, and in verse 47, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many. He doesn't pull any punches. He says, look, this woman has lots of sins. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And here's where we see our big idea that, that Jesus is the master forgiver. He, he looks at this woman who is, who is sinful and says, Your sins are forgiven. And he says, your sins are forgiven, for, for she loved much. He's highlighting the, the, the contrast between, between this woman who's come to Jesus in gratitude and the cynical Pharisee who thinks he's got his act together and, and doesn't need to be forgiven by God. The love for Jesus isn't the source of forgiveness. So, so Jesus doesn't forgive this woman because she has great love for her. In fact, he says in, in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, so her love for Jesus isn't the source of forgiveness. It's the result of her forgiveness. I don't know where this woman had interacted with Jesus before. I don't know what message she had heard from him. But I know that she had because when she heard that he was in this house, she wanted to go and she wanted to bless him at great, great social cost to herself and great financial cost to herself. Her love for him was the result of the forgiveness that he had extended to her at some point earlier in their interactions with each other. And we've already learned uh, in a previous series uh, called the Poverty Gospel, that Jesus' good news is for those who are eligible by grace through faith. This woman's faith in Jesus has, has, has led him to forgive her sins. And so now she's offering this expensive, this expansive act of worship. 
And it leads me to ask two questions. One is, have we trusted Jesus to forgive our sins? With all that's going on in the world, this really is our first need. Jesus is the only way to God, and, and we'll, we'll explain more about that next week um, as we explore a really fascinating passage. Um, but Jesus is the only way for us to be forgiven to God. There's a, there's a separation that we're naturally born with that, that we can't get to God. We can't make God happy. But Jesus, is, Jesus takes it upon himself, the sin, and is able to forgive us and make it possible for us to even have a conversation with God. Have we trusted Jesus for forgiveness of our sin? It's available to you. It doesn't matter what your sin is. He looks at a woman and says, look, her sins are forgiven. He doesn't say, oh, she has, there is no sin. There's nothing to forgive. Like everything's good between us. He says, no, no, no. Her sins are many, but they are forgiven. And so this forgiveness is available to you. I don't have to know the specific sins that are in your past. I can say confidently because of the way that Jesus looks at this woman and because Jesus is the master forgiver that he'll extend perfect forgiveness to you. And if you have trusted Jesus for forgiveness, have, have we responded in love for the forgiveness that we've received? We see a contrast in this passage between humble worship and cynical entitlement. And even as, as people who have been walking with Jesus for a while, we can sometimes think like, okay, like I've, I've got my act together now. Like I'm, I'm good with Jesus. Me and Jesus are fine and begin to be entitled that we deserve the forgiveness that he's extended to us freely. We can be cynical and entitled. But Jesus turns away from the Pharisee to the woman who, who is coming to him in humble worship. Have we responded in love for the forgiveness that we've received from Jesus? And if we follow Jesus, will we forgive like him? Because Jesus is the master forgiver.